Amen, amen, amen. Well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's just a joy to get to gather with you. We are continuing our series in the book of 2 Corinthians called Endure, Courage and Weakness. And so if you haven't grabbed a uh, discipleship guide, you can grab one of these we put together for you uh, to help us through this series. Uh, But today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, and I I hope you do, whether you're with us here in person or online, uh, we're we're glad that you're here, but uh, grab your Bibles uh, and turn there. Uh, to 2 Corinthians, end of chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want you to to begin to ask yourself a few questions that might be a little difficult and maybe we don't want to think about too often. What's next? Meaning, what's after this? This being, quite simply, life. What's after life? How long can we last in this life? Maybe dare ask how long you want to go in this life. And I ask this question this way because I think that, um, you know, we've talked a lot recently with different friends and, and people who, you know, have uh, older relatives and like, oh yeah, you know, grandma passed away at 92 and we're like, hey, I mean, a lot of us, depending on where you're at chronologically, if, if somebody gave you a contract that said, you get 90 years guaranteed, would you take it? I think most of us would say, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd take that. But what about after that? You know, you you take that at 41, but I don't know if I want to take that at 89. Because what's next? What do you hope to accomplish in your life, right? You know, wherever you're at in your life, you've got goals, you've got a certain amount of time you think is left to accomplish or achieve or maybe even leave a legacy. And so there's a challenge that we have that deep in our souls, while the, the hourglass of our lives runs lower. Our heart's desire and even our soul's design isn't temporary, it's actually for eternity. The reason that you and I are not easily satisfied for more than a few moments is because our souls and our hearts are designed and built for eternity. The challenge we have is that our bodies aren't. And that becomes more evident the longer that we, that we journey, that our physical bodies are anything but capable of enduring forever. And we don't like to think about the inevitability that we will uh, eventually die. And even in this past year, right, certainly the last 12 months, um, where daily on the news is death tolls for coronavirus, right, or or related uh, deaths. We show our level of discomfort with with death because societally, culturally, and then even individually, we don't like thinking about that shadow that lurks over all of us because most of our lives we try to go blissfully unaware that that's even a possibility, particularly when we're younger. And so what we have had in this past year of heightened awareness of death has led us either to some places of of very extreme caution, protect life at all costs because it is precious, uh, it it is finite, or we go callous, oh, just another number, 
Like, well, yeah, we all going to die, so whatever, why, why do anything, right? And so it, it leads us to some pretty dark and challenging places, and it, I think, displays our discomfort with death. And to be clear, I think it's okay to, to not be comfortable with death. If you know your Bibles, you know that the Bible began with God speaking not death into existence, but life into existence. It's sin, it's brokenness, it's disease that leads to our destruction that leads to death. Death is actually not a natural part of life in a fallen world that doesn't include sin and brokenness like ours does. So we shouldn't be comfortable with it. But we struggle to engage with this tension that we feel uh, around life and around death. And so we know our lives are finite, but I don't think any of us are ready to be finished yet. And so we need a clear framework if we're going to process through this, uh, the truth of aging, the transition of death, the reality of the afterlife. And, and even while we think about all those things and we start thinking too far down the, the, the path, we also need to be gr- rooted and grounded where we are right now. And so we believe that today matters. And we earnestly desire something more and better tomorrow as we will see here that we hope to endure for eternity with an eternal dwelling. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. 2 Corinthians, we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 4 where we left off last week. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 says this because 16 of chapter 4 all the way through 10 of chapter 5 are all one big section together. So we'll, we'll lop it off into chunks. Here we go. It says this. So we do not lose heart, or another translation says grow faint. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So as we think about life and death, this beginning section of this scripture is really talking about the disconnect that we feel and experience between what is outside of us and rather what's even outside of our bodies and what's happening inside in our souls. And so courage and comfort in weakness can come when we actually kind of live in the tension, behold the paradox, if you will, between what am I seeing in the mirror And what does God say is happening in my soul? Because they're two different things. Our lives, it says, our bodies, doesn't say will waste away, it says is wasting away. I'm experiencing this this morning because um, two and a half years ago, I went and did an amazing hike uh, with a bunch of dudes. We did the enchantments. We did, uh, it's 7,000 feet elevation change, 20 miles, uh, awesome mountain views. Did it all in in 12 hours. Uh, It it was great. We crushed it. Had an awesome time. It was on a Saturday. I drove back and I preached the next Sunday. And I I was fine. Yesterday, I did a half marathon, which is decidedly a lot less. Elevation change was zero feet. Uh, Took me an hour and 43 minutes and change. Not that I counted. Um, And today, I can barely walk. So something's changed. There was a difference between 39 Chris and 41 Chris. I don't like the change right? And so there's aspects of our body that are wasting away. And and yet if we focus only on our deterioration, we're going to lose heart. 
But Paul says here, as he's writing to the church, don't lose heart. Don't grow faint in running your journey, even when it's easy to do. Because, yeah, your outer bodies are going to waste away. And you're like, well, how is that encouraging? He said, oh, because what God is doing inside of you is renewing your soul day by day. So while you are walking through the tension of the body I have, the life I have, is less equipped to go for eternity, the, if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit's in you, if God's working with you, your soul is actually more prepared for eternity. Because there is a reality that we've got to hold on to that our outer bodies are wasting away. No amount of exercise, diet, vitamins, or dare I say even essential oils is going to keep us right from that day. From that day when, when it has all wasted away. There's a certain threshold you're not going to make it past. So something else is also happening as we say that our souls are being renewed. God's producing a transformation in us. And, and he says, this is gonna be even highlighted as you experience suffering because Paul calls it light and momentary, but he says that's in comparison to what is eternal and glorious from God. And we said this last week, like it never feels light and momentary when we're in it. But Paul's saying, not minimizing your pain and saying, no, no, what you're going through now isn't hard. If you're suffering, you're suffering. If you're suffering for a season, you're suffering. But no matter what it is, it will be in the rear view of eternity considered light and momentary when it's compared to the eternal weight of glory. Um, this week, um, you're going through a sermon right on body deterioration. It's not a good week to start going to the doctor and go visit a naturopath for the first time. And so um, uh, I've been oversharing a lot of what he's said. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it tight uh, here. Um, and so um, he said that, Chris, you um, put your body into a low state of flu when you eat things like bread and eggs. And he's like, so you're going to have to not eat bread or eggs for two months. And guys, I about lost my ever-loving mind. Tara knows. I went to Costco, and I bought everything that I've laughed at for years that I've walked by. <laughs> Gluten-free, vegan, <laughs> it's hilarious. Get it in the cart. And, and like, I'm, I guess I'm just going to live off snacks. But, but like, he, that's for two months. That's a real suffering. I just want to be really clear. That is what we think of of light and momentary because that two months of no eggs and no bread is preparing me for an eternal weight of glorious omelets from in May. Like, I'm gonna, I don't care what he says. I'm having an omelet in May. And so, um, like, that's light and momentary. But if you're going through something far, far greater, it doesn't feel light. And it doesn't feel momentary. But Paul says, don't lose heart. He's not minimizing your pain. He's maximizing the glory that we experience in eternity, the transformation that's happening internal. And so even though we focus on what we can see, which is affliction and death and decay and discouragement, we don't get defeated because what is unseen is perseverance. What is unseen is glory. What is unseen is life and renewal. And that doesn't end and that doesn't fade. And so we're not gonna last forever. Our pain and your suffering, so know this, maybe you've been given an affliction that's gonna be your whole life. It's not gonna last forever. Suffering visits for a season. 
but then it will pass away. But there's also a reality that so will we. And so we need more hope if we're going to understand how to process what's happening external to us and what's happening in our lives. And so First uh, Corinthians, or rather Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 5 says it this way. He talks about the, the tension, not just of what's happening outside and inside, but, but now he's going to compare our current bodies to our forever bodies. Verses 1 through 5 says this. After talking about the suffering, after talking about what is unseen, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he's talking about our bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." And so he's talking, as he said, about our bodies. He compares our bodies, our current bodies right now, as a tent. And to be clear, nothing screams temporary and transient like a tent, right? At no point was anybody like, you know what, I think tents forever are a good idea. The reason we know this is because most of us either live or strive to live in a physical home. Tents are temporary, tents are transient. Even, even when things are easy and you're like, the sun actually came out, like I wanna go camping. Like, like you do that tent and that first night's great, that second night is okay, and by the third night you're like, get me home. Right, because tents are temporary. So no matter how charmed your life is, there's a storm that is coming for all of us and tents don't hold up in storms. Right, a little bit of breeze can unsettle a tent. A little drop in temperature and you're screaming for a blanket. Rain and wind and cold and you'll chop down the finest wood you've ever seen just to build a home, right? Because it's temporary. It's a seasonal dwelling. Our bodies are insufficient to endure, endure in this journey past a certain point. And, and what Paul said here is, hey, on our journeys, affliction's gonna happen and hate to break it to you, affliction's destination is always eventually destruction particularly of our bodies. Tents are also not sufficient to experience sustained joy in the here and now. And, and I say this, right, because uh, you know, a tent might be suitable for some bit of shelter, some protection from the elements, but it's not suitable to build a flourishing life. And we intrinsically know this, right? At any point, if you've driven on I-5 South, Anytime south of Green Lake in Seattle, you know from Green Lake all the way through to the, to, to the Boeing area, what's I-5 filled with? If you don't know, it's filled with tents. And at no point as we're driving down I-5 do we look up and say, that's flourishing. No, we say that's temporary. We say that, and, and in some sense, we, we, our hearts break, or they should, with compassion, but also a desire that that is not what flourishing likes, it looks like. And that's way different than going for, for a drive around, you know, a lake with all, a bunch of nice lake houses. Because there you drive around and you don't say, oh, I feel so sorry for them, they live in that lake house. No, we say, oh, that's aspirational. 
that's flourishing, that's in enjoyment. So, so tents are not built because, to last forever. They're not for flourishing. And so he says that at a certain point, we're going to transition from tent and you're like, oh, we're getting kicked out of the tent? And we get, we get freaked out because we see the tent deteriorating as the storm rises or as cancer comes or as we age. We're like, oh no, our tent is wasting away. And you're like, you shouldn't say, oh no. You say, yeah, the tent's wearing out because God's preparing for us a building that's better. And so this is where we actually get hope in the midst of our lives, that there's a greater hope and promise of an upgraded body. You're not going to be homeless. You don't go from, from tent to homeless. You go from tent to temple, from tent to building, from tent to home. And so death isn't the end of all that what is, is good. Rather, it is a gateway to glory as we move from even things that we experience as good to something that is far glorious and better. And that's why he says, we know this tent is going to be destroyed, but we have a building from God, and that is our future home. If a tent is temporary, a home, or dare I say even like, like a church building or a, or, or, a, or a temple or a big building or a stadium, right, that screams permanence. That screams stability. That screams, that screams protection, flourishing, endurance, for a long period of time. And he says, we're not gonna be given another tent. We're gonna be given a building. And so he's contrasting to so the significance of the difference between who we are now and who we'll be after we die. And so he's talking specifically about what happens when we die and we get resurrected bodies. If you don't know, the Christian faith is built on and our hope is directed towards resurrection. A month from now, we'll celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That is the bedrock of our faith. That is the foundation this building is built on, is resurrection. Not just that Jesus resurrected. Yes, he did. That is our hope. But more than that, or in addition to that, I should say, is that we have our hope that when we die, we'll be resurrected. So it's not just like, hey, there was one guy that resurrected one time, good for him, no, good for us, good for me, good for you, that when we suffer death, when our tent's destroyed, that we get resurrected bodies. You can look at Luke uh, 24 at some point, you'll see Jesus after the resurrection walking with some of his disciples, and they didn't recognize him, and part of why they didn't recognize him is he was given a resurrected body. His body wasn't, it had the, the scars from the nails, it says, but it wasn't beat up anymore. It was a glorious body. You can look at Revelation uh, 19, uh, 20, 21, and it talks about uh, Jesus coming back in glory. We will have resurrected bodies. And so what I love about this truth of the Christian gospel is that when we talk about the promise of eternal life for those who have their faith in Christ Jesus, we're not just talking about like, well, you get to go on. That's when I said, what's next? If what is forever is just now, we have a battery? Oh, there we go, okay, sorry. If what is forever is what we're experiencing now, then I don't want any part of it. Because right now is not good enough for forever. See, what happens in our resurrected bodies is that you don't just get your old body back. Right, so if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and you're like, I hope when I die they give me 25-year-old me, right? Or if you're like, you know, actually, I feel pretty good about myself. Like, I feel like I could do this body forever. 
I mean, maybe, let me look in the mirror, right? Okay, maybe, maybe not, maybe not forever, right? And so we, if it's just okay, if you just get your old body back, the one that aches when you work out too much, the one that has an upset stomach when you eat anything that tastes good or that you've eaten for your whole life until this week. Sorry, guys, a little, little therapy right now, okay? Or that body that can't even seem to basically function until you have a cup of coffee. Or that body that couldn't endure the disease that you have. Or that body that suffered abuse from others. Or that body that you've abused. If that's just what you get back forever, I don't want it. That's not good enough. That's not an upgrade. We're not just reissued another tent and said, hope you can navigate eternity better than you did those 60, 70, 80 years. No, instead he says, we're giving you hope with a building, a temple, a mansion which has been prepared for us by God when you think upgrade. Don't think iPhone 11 to iPhone 12 where it's like, well, we kind of moved the camera around and like now there's some different colors and I don't know what else. No, think Zach Morris brick phone to iPhone 12. It's like they're not even comparable. They're not even the same thing. They're both called phones, but like one can just make a call and weighs like nine pounds and the other has access to all the information in the world and yet still makes you dumber somehow. I don't know. Um, Off topic. It's an unmistakable upgrade. If you're in Christ, if your hope is in Jesus, your forever future is an unmistakable upgrade from now. And so we have hope. There's this gap in strength and foundation and design and beauty and function between tent and building. And so, like we said, even when it's good times and you're like, you you know, you go up to a hike on Lake 22 and you see somebody with a little tent there and you think, oh, I could live there for a week. But when you see that lake house, you say, I could live there forever. That's the difference of what God's doing. And deep in our souls, we know that a gap exists between our current bodies, our current reality, and what we're promised for eternity, and that, that gap causes us to have a, a certain level of discontentment. And so these verses just keep hitting this note over and over. You see groaning, um, you see um, uh, uh, destroyed, you see some really challenging words. And so it's, it's, it's Paul saying, hey, I hope when you think about the tent that is your body, that it leads you to a place of discontentment that you're not satisfied, that it, hope it leads you to, to longing, right? This winter has taught us so much about why we built buildings in the first place. If you w- tried to go out to eat at some point between November and two weeks ago, right? The coldest time of the year. And we bundle up and sit on yard furniture in tents 20 feet away from a heater as the heat leaves, leaves our french fries, which apparently I won't get to eat for two months, right? And, and, it's, and you're like, and they've walked you through the building to get to the tent in the back. And so you walk through like the fireplace and the nice couches and the, the, the nice, you know, things on the wall and the nice chairs and the warmth and everything. And they walk you out to the tent and they sit you down and you're still paying too much. You shouldn't have been satisfied. When you're eating that meal out in the tent, when we're living our lives in the tent out in the back, there should be something in us that's longing to be inside, that's longing 
for the building. Longing is a more than okay response for a Christian to the world that we're in. If you're satisfied, then you, I just want to say that you're missing something. You should not be completely comfortable and satisfied right now. Um, we, we, we find ourselves at different points uncomfortable with our bodies. I'm not going to do a show of hands, but if I did, I bet every one of us could raise our hands if at different points we've had displeasure or discontentment or an uncomfortability with our bodies. You are not alone. Our whole world is trying to tell us that somehow you're going to be perfectly comfortable in your body if we just make these changes, if you just take this, if you just have the surgery, if you just do all these different things, then you'll be comfortable. We're not made to be comfortable in a tent. We're not made to be comfortable in our bodies. It, it, it's the most natural thing in the world right now to be discontent with your body because it is temporary. It is transient. It's a groaning that should drive you to want to trade in that tent for the temple, to trade in the back tent for being in the building and the warmth. And, and that's not a selfish longing. In fact, Paul says it's it's actually a spirit-filled, even a Holy Spirit-inspired groaning that happens. He says, you're groaning for something else? You're longing for something else? He says, verse 5, he who has prepared for us this very thing, the building, is God who's given us the Spirit. God does not want us to be satisfied with anything less than the eternal and ending joy of life with Him. And so, where we could easily fall to, to fear or, or concern in whatever's happening in the world or, or with ourselves or with our families or, or whatever. Um, the, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, it's this Reformed Catechism from 1563. A bunch of Christians got together and said, what, what do we, what, what's one of the first things we want people to know as they're kind of be, being reminded about the truth of the good news of the gospel? And they said this, because I think we all start with, with life and death. This question says, what is your only comfort in life and death? They said, the answer to that is that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You are owned. You belong. You are held by and given hope by the fact that you're not by yourself in a tent, but you have a Savior who's preparing a building for you this eternal temple. See, he uses that, that dwelling language because a, a temple is a place where God dwells with his people. God's creating a dwelling for us, an eternal existence. And he says the purpose of that is that we will be with God and we will be with his people. So if you have a, a, a view somehow of heaven that, yeah, you're going to get that lake house, but you're just going to live by yourself, or maybe a few select relatives or some celebrities you've always wanted to meet or whatever, like, like no, you're, you're going to be dwelling with God and with his people. Lord willing, it might even be crowded because there's such close communion and community between people and between God. And so while being alone in a tent by yourself that's wasting away does not compare to an eternal temple where God is dwelling with his people. And so one is clearly better than the other. 
As Paul talks about in these verses here, he, he talks about being naked and, and, and saying, hey, we're not going to be naked to the elements. We're actually going to be clothed and covered and not exposed. He's, he's saying, hey, there's not going to be a time where you're going to find yourself after death, if you're in Christ, there's not some formless, exposed purgatory where you're just floating around hoping that you get to a better place, maybe fearing that you're going to go to the bad place. He says, no, you're going to be covered right away. You're not going to be exposed. You're not going to be naked. And he says as well that, that you're not going to be homeless. What that means is, is that, that while we might want to escape at certain points, what we really want, when, when we are discontent with our reality now, some of us want to escape or parts of us want to escape. But what's really happening in our souls is that we're yearning not to escape this reality, but to dwell in a reality where there's life and flourishing. Saying that is where you're going to be present. That is where you're going to go. And so our eternity is not some ethereal state of nirvana, but is in a resurrected body in a new heavens and new earth because, see, we are whole people. When God created us, he made us mind, body, and soul. For eternity, we will be mind, body, and soul. So at no point are you going to be a ghosty ghost. Okay, you're not haunting anybody. You're not floating around. You're not dismembered. You're not attached from the body. No, you're actually going to be given and put in a resurrected body. And so uh, it's one that God is preparing for us in a new heavens and new earth. And so while we focus so much on just trying to patch up our tent, what we do is weak. But the house that God is building with his hands is strong. And so we're not capable of guaranteeing our next breath. This verse, verse 5, says God has guaranteed our eternity because he's given us the Holy Spirit. So we have hope that something better is going to happen in the future. Greater things are yet to come. And until then, we know that God is backing his promise with the Holy Spirit in us. And so as we think about that first section of what's happening outside, what's happening inside to us as we think about now, um, you know, our bodies now to our bodies later. What about the world we're in now and where we're going? Verses six through nine talk about it here. It says this, six through nine say, so we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Let's stop there. So here we are, home or away, where are we? The future promise of a building, eternal dwelling. He's like, that should give you some courage now. Remember, our destination determines our disposition. If we know that we're going to an eternal home, with God, with his people, flourishing joy in life, we can have courage even if the journey there isn't that great, even if it has suffering, even if it's difficult. And so we are, as we said in this last section, we're whole people, mind, body, and soul. We're whole people, but we're also not yet home people. We are not yet home people. And so where we are now, as settled as you are now, as 
as much as you've built a life here now, this is not our home. This isn't home. And while we're not supposed to be satisfied with our present bodies, it's okay to also be a little dissatisfied with this present world. If you're loving everything that's been happening in the world in the last year, you should see a counselor who's a mandatory reporter. Okay? Right? This is a... You shouldn't be satisfied. And there's really not a point in human history where you should be. I mean, go try to find one and be like, yeah, I want to be there. Yeah, well, you can find something behind the scenes that, that's rough, that's dissatisfying. Every groan in our soul which leads us to long for a better resurrected body for ourselves should also lead us to desire a restored and renewed new heavens and new earth for ourselves and for others. You have longing for yourself that should drive you to longing for the world. It's right and good to look at the world, to enjoy what is right and good about it. I'm not saying hate it here. I mean, even just a few moments ago, the sun kind of shone through. That's hopeful. I see that again at some point in May, along with when I get to eat eggs again. Okay. Eggs and sun coming in May. Pencil it in. It's okay to enjoy the things here in this world that are good, that are right, that are just. And it's right and good to groan and grieve when there's wrong and bad and injustice and sin and brokenness. So we can be complex, differentiated people who can celebrate and grieve in the same seasons. Honor for what is good and discontentment with what is not. We can hold both of those things together. So we should want something better than now because I say that if we got that good Imagine you're given that good, resurrected, even perfect, glorious body. But then you have to live here for eternity. And nothing will ever go wrong with you, and you're fine, and you're good, but you're still in a world of sin, you're still in a world of suffering, you're still in a world of brokenness. I don't think we'd be satisfied. We'd yearn for a heavenly home as we consider our life now. And so where, where our tent and our lives are temporary, they're also transient. We're not built to endure. We're also not meant to be settled. And so if you're in Christ and you consider your life in this world, it should be one of being a sojourner, a journey in a foreign land where you're not yet home, where you care about the land that you're in and you engage and you love the people around you, but you just recognize this is not your forever home. In fact, in some regards, you're walking in wilderness. Verse seven says we walk by faith and not by sight. We're walking in wilderness by faith because we're not yet home. And so that means that because we're not yet home, we, just, we keep walking, we keep going, we don't stop. We're not trying to find home because we know it can't be here. Instead, we're journeying in a wilderness, and so we have real courage that, yeah, we're going to be provided for. God's leading us. He's going to help us navigate uh, this life, but it's marked by faith in God, even when God's not seen. See, when we say we walk by faith and not by sight, that means that you might have legitimate fears. We might have legitimate things that concern us, things that we're worried about, things that we're working against, things that we're working towards. But all of those things... That, even, that seems so real to us, that we focus so much of our attention on, are not as powerful or as significant as God who is unseen, as the God who loves us, as the God who leads us, and leads us and is leading us 
towards heaven. And so what in your life is insurmountable? What in your life right now is overwhelming? What in your life is all-consuming? What are your greatest fears? Because I believe that we despair when our fear of death or even fear of life that's discontent is greater than the faith we have in a God who brings us abundant life. When we walk by faith and not by sight, we can have courage and comfort that can, that can be greater than our fear. Don't hear that wrongly if you're afraid. Don't hear that wrongly if you're discontent. That's not to heap on more shame because look at you, you'd just be happier if you had more faith. No. Fear is real. Concern is real. Discontentment is real. It's not condemnation that you need to have more faith. It's calling us to focus our eyes on where actual hope is, actual joy is, actual life is. Not another thing that we failed to do, but being reminded that no matter how faithless we are, God has always been faithful to us. And so we have courage to endure, he says, even when we're away. He says, he says away from the Lord. And so if we're not yet home, we can still desire home. We should yearn for home, recognize that we're not home. But, but if you're in this place of yearning and you're not yet home, know it's because God has you precisely where he wants you to be for his purposes, maybe not yours at all times. And so we ask ourselves, right, you know, I became a Christian, like, why didn't God just zap me up? Why didn't God just, you know, come home now? That's not ours to decide. If you're here, it's because God has a purpose for you here in this season, here in this place, here with these people. Paul tells the Philippian church to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's this tension of, of, man, this life is one of sacrifice. This life is one even of affliction, of challenges, of, of difficulties. But that's what Christ did. And I'm here for Christ. I'm like, fine, okay, we're, we don't like what you're doing, Paul. We'll kill you. Okay, cool. To die is gain because then I'm home. Resurrected body. Everything's great now. See, it's easy to want to be home. But God has us here. And God is good, and God is loving, and God's plan is wise, and God is powerful. And that means that if you're here, it's for a good purpose. You might not know it yet. And Paul's really clear. He's clear in these verses. He's clear with the Philippians. Like, one's better. Like, don't think that One's not better. He says in verse 8, yes, we're of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But he says it doesn't matter because Paul sees himself, you know, I'd say, I'm going to use this analogy, a bit like a football player, right? You've got your schedule. Home games are better if there's fans and they're yelling and all those things. I don't really know what happened this last year, right? But a home game? Oh, that's great. You get to wake up in your bed, you show up to the stadium, you're ready to go, you know where your locker's at. It is far better to play at home. But he says, it doesn't matter, I'm going to play the schedule in front of me. Whether it's home or away, I've got purpose. Paul says his purpose, my purpose, our purpose, is to please the Lord. And don't, again, be like, oh no, I got what, what am I doing that's not pleasing the Lord? What do I need to stop? What do I need to do? No, God's already pleased with you in Christ. 
He has made you new in Christ. We're going to hit that next week at the end of this uh, chapter. He's already pleased with you. And because he's already pleased with you, whether you're home or whether you're away, you take the field knowing you weren't going to win. But Jesus already won for you. So now you take the field in victory. And you play the game. You live your life like one who has victory assured. And that means that whether we're in heaven forever with God or whether we're here right now, we do the simple things of love God and love people. As disciples of Jesus Christ on the mission to tell others about Jesus, to love others like Jesus, all remembering that we're loved by God because of Jesus. And so we're always of good courage now while we're waiting for later and yearning for it. So don't, don't ignore this life. He says there is a purpose now. Like, don't ignore this life. It's okay to press in. Put roots down. Build a business. Start a career. Invest in your family. Invest in relationships. Invest in your gospel community. Invest in this community, in this place, in this space. Yeah, it's going away, but it matters now. It matters for you, for your family, for the flourishing of those around you. It matters for those who don't know Jesus yet that need to know and love and serve Jesus. It matters for those who may never hear about Jesus, that God in his common grace just loves people and wants them to be provided for and cared for. So we work towards and live towards a more flourishing community, doing so with the understanding that the longing you feel will never be completely satisfied now. You're never gonna feel finished here and now. But that doesn't mean you stop running. That doesn't mean you stop journeying. It means that while you might never get finished on your own, you show up to a place that God's prepared for you, where Jesus says it is finished, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, where God has been preparing us for eternity, and he's also preparing eternity for us. And so this last verse, as we close, says this. That moment, that time, when our tent gets destroyed, when we meet God face to face, he says this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, whether he's done, what he's done in the body. So what we do here now matters, whether good or evil. We're all going to face just judgment or we're all going to receive just mercy. The difference is whether you're in Christ or not. If you're, if you're worried about the upgrade, if you're worried about eternity, if you're worried about what's next, the hope you have is not in yourself. It is in Christ alone. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is no other name under heaven which men and women are to call on for salvation, for their resurrected bodies, and for that forever home than Jesus Christ. And yet our lives here matter now. None of us can endure judgment without the mercy of God. But what he's saying here, right, he's writing to Christians. So if you're in Christ and you're like, uh-oh, am I not gonna know if I'm in until the end? And you're a little freaked out, Exhale. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This verse is not about condemnation. This verse is about your heavenly commendation. 
See, heaven is a place of eternal rewards. Heaven is a place that is rewarding. And so he says, your life here does still matter. You're not just running around waiting to go home. The point of our life mattering here and now is because it does have eternal consequences. An eternal perspective does not diminish the real relevance of your actions and your attitudes today. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved to works that God has prepared before us. Just as God is preparing us for eternity, just as God has prepared eternity for us, God has also prepared our present. And he's prepared good works for you and me so that we should walk in them, so that we can have joy, so that we can bless others. And so we press on living with our aim to please the Lord who's already pleased with us in Christ. We praise God who's built a dwelling for us that is fit for eternity, better than any tent we could ever patch up. And he's been given us the Holy Spirit to give us courage to walk by faith and not by sight now. And so until our faith in Jesus becomes sight, and until we're finally called home, we will simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.